Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to take those out and turn with me today to the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. As I noted last week, uh, chapter 10 is like the fastball coming straight up and in across the plate in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark deals with the three biggies that tend to take people down, uh, sex, money, and power. And uh, today we are to the part of Mark where he uh, begins to talk uh, about Jesus' teaching on, on money. And <clears throat> I think the Lord has a word for us today. Now, one of, one of my main responsibilities is to preach the word of the Lord. Uh, and, and I love every minute of it. I love preparing for it. I love uh, sharing what the Lord uh, has laid on my heart uh, for you. Uh, it's a joy and a privilege to be able to talk about Jesus and what he teaches and encourage us along our uh, journey to become more like him. And, and so I hope that when you come to church on Sunday, it's not out of obligation, but it is truly something that you do because you want to meet Jesus, and you want to hear from him. And today, the story that we're going to read is about a guy who wanted to meet Jesus, and he had a big question for Jesus. So let's, let's read it. If you'd stand with me, we're in Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to start reading in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children. It's the only place in the Gospel of Mark where he refers to the disciples as children. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Mark Twain, one of my favorite authors, he said, um, 
He said, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me the most. It's the parts that I do understand that bother me the most. Would anybody be daring enough to raise their hand and say, this is a part of the Bible that's, well, it's pretty crystal clear what Jesus has said. It's not hard to understand, but man, it kind of bothers me a little bit. In fact, you know, this is one of, this goes down as one of the hard teachings, the hard sayings of, of Jesus. And if I'm really honest, I don't really like this story all that much. Uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Are you serious, Jesus? Do you know what you're saying? The, the temptation for all of us when we read the scripture is to soften the message of Jesus, to make it more pliable and more palatable uh, for us, so that we can, you know, it's a pill that we could actually swallow and take in and say, oh, okay, I think I can live with that. There's a couple different ways that, that we can read this story, read this teaching of Jesus, and I want to share three of them with you today. The, the first way that we could read this story is to take it literally. Uh, and, and that's difficult because it's obvious what Jesus is saying, if you were to take it absolutely literally. I mean, it's scary when you think about it and you evaluate what you have and you listen to Jesus say, hey, if you want to be my disciple, go get rid of it all, sell it, and then take the proceeds from that and give it away. Anybody want to go? Should we just dismiss now and all do that and reconvene here next week? <laughs> No takers. <laughs> I didn't raise my hand. It's hard when we consider this literally. I mean, it's been such a troubling passage through the, through the ages, through the centuries, that people who have interpreted the Scripture, they scratch their head and, and they struggle with it, and they, they come up with ways to either reduce the size of the camel or make the eye of the needle larger. Some of the early interpreters of this text, I think this is made up, and maybe there's an element of truth to it, but some of the earlier interpreters, they came up with the idea that there was a gate into Jerusalem that was low, called the needle's eye. And so in their minds, well, you know, Jesus was probably referring to the needle's eye gate into Jerusalem. And, you know, that gate was so low that if you were coming into town on a camel and it was loaded with all your belongings and you, you, maybe you were riding on the camel, that, that you, would have to, you would have to unburden the camel of its load. You'd have to get off and the camel would have to get down on its knees and kind of crawl through and duck its head under the gate to get through the needle's eye gate into Jerusalem. Some of the interpreters... They want to make this text a little more palatable, and they're like, hey, if I have to crawl on my belly through the eye of the needle, then I'm in. I'm good. And maybe all I need to do is just shed a few things that might be holding me back a little bit, unburden myself from some things, and then I can sneak through that gate into the kingdom of heaven. That's one way that some interpreters have taken this text, because... If you were to read it literally, well, what do you do with, what do you do with that? You know, when Jesus' words are hard sometimes, do you ever tend to define yourself out of the audience? You know, like when we consider, when, when Jesus says how hard it is for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven, we, none of us ever consider that we're rich. We always consider the people who are rich are the ones who have more than what we do. And so it's always for somebody else. I can just go up the food chain and like, I'm not rich because look at so-and-so. 
And so-and-so says, well, you know, in comparison to so-and-so, I'm not rich, and so we, t- we, <laughs> we tend to define ourselves out. So it makes the message a little bit easier. Well, it must be a much it must be easier for me to get into the kingdom of heaven because I'm not in the group that Jesus is actually talking to. We define ourselves out of the message. Well, the guy in the story, he wanted to know what he could do to secure his place in the kingdom. All this guy wanted was a... He, was, he wanted a simple answer. What must I do to get into the kingdom of heaven. He wanted to secure a place. He wanted to know what, what he might be able to do to earn his way in. Uh, you know, we live in a culture, I think it was probably very similar back then, down through the ages. I don't think this part of human nature has changed. But sometimes we think that, well, if we if we pay a little extra, we can get special privileges. Or if I contribute just a little bit more, well, when it comes time for what? They will remember my pledge and my donation, and I will get treated like royalty, and I'll have the special seats and so forth. I mean, you can go to fun parks now, amusement parks, and there you can, go, you can buy a fast pass. So you buy your regular admission ticket into the park, And if you want to be able to cut the line and have a special privilege, you can pay extra for your ticket and buy what's called a fast pass. And so you walk up to the line and you flash your fast pass that you've, you know, paid a little extra for this. And you get to march by everybody in line. (laughs) You didn't buy the fast pass. You know, it might be a good idea next time because you can cut right up to the front of the line. We like paying for special privileges, maybe there was an element of what this guy was doing is, hey, I want to make sure, I want to make sure, what can I do, Jesus, to assure my place in the kingdom of, of heaven? He was focused entirely on his own action. What must I do? Totally bypassed how he was an integral part of the society at large, wasn't thinking about neighbor at this point or even concerned about other people being able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What must I do to assure my place? Now, we know, we know that Jesus does not require every disciple or follower of his to divest themselves of everything that they own. Jesus is not anti-possession. The houses that he ministers in when he travels around from village to village, especially the one in Capernaum, was owned probably by Peter, maybe by Jesus even. And so we know for a fact, reading our scripture, that Jesus is not anti-possession. So what is he trying to say? If you think about a story in Luke, it's popular, especially in children's ministry, the the story of Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. You know the song, right? No? Oh, Trent, we got some remedial work to do. He wanted to see Jesus, but he was so short, and the crowd was so thick that he climbed up the tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus, and Jesus comes along the street, and he looks up, and there's Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was hated in town. Nobody liked Zacchaeus because he was like the chief tax collector. He was a thug. He shook people down for money for the Roman Empire. And so Jesus stops right at the tree, and he looks up. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree I'm having lunch at your place today. What are you cooking? Zacchaeus, probably wide-eyed, shimmies down that tree, and he goes home. And salvation entered his house that day. Zacchaeus was checked in his spirit by Jesus' presence. He was called out of the way that he was sinning against people, and he he promised a whole lot of things. I'll give half of my stuff away. I've, if I have wronged people, I will pay it back fourfold. Half and fourfold isn't everything, right? And Jesus proclaimed that salvation came into his household that very day. 
It's not that Jesus asks every single disciple to sell every single thing. But he does ask some people to do that. So when people come and ask, Pastor Dave, what, what do you think about a text like this? Do you really think that Jesus wants us to get rid of everything and, and sell it and give the money away to the poor? And I know what the answer that they want. They want me to say no. But I always say, maybe. It doesn't take that burden of responsibility off. There's not an easy way out. There's no needle's eye gate that you can just crawl on your hands and knees through and sneak into the kingdom of heaven. For some people, Jesus does say, this is holding you back. You need to let it go so that you can truly be a disciple of mine. Hmm, it makes you think. I had a friend who... I mean, he had given up a lot just to be a minister. Sacrificed a, a business career. Sacrificed income to take up the call of ministry. One day, you know, a minister, he was a, an associate pastor in a church, and he, he just felt like his family was being called to get rid of everything and go to the mission field in China. Jesus does ask this of some people. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Well, the guy wanted to know what he could do. And I want you to hear that we believe, we fully believe that we are not saved by anything that we can do or any way that we can earn it. We are saved by grace through faith, and it's a gift from God in Christ Jesus. But I do believe absolutely that Jesus calls us to some very challenging and difficult things sometimes. And Jesus knows that money is one of the things that tends to get its tentacles in us and wrapped around us and holds us back, it clutches us, and we think that our worth and our security is wrapped up in what we can accumulate. And Jesus knows that, and he, he's really good at putting his finger on that, saying this is your issue. I, I, uh, I love the story that I know of uh, a young man. He was... Uh, he was a new believer, just become a Christian. And he was, uh, he had just graduated, I, I think, with a master's degree in something, and he landed a really fantastic job. And it was early in his time at the company, first couple weeks. Boss had a lot of high demands for him. But as a new believer, he was at church one Sunday, and there were, there were some missionaries there, and the, the church put out um, a call for faith promise giving, you know, you know, over and above money that we give to missions to, to go, you know, to ministry in the local community and, and around the world. And he was really drawn into the missionary story. And at the end, there was a time where you could lay a pledge before the Lord and say, you know what, I don't know where this money is going to come from, but somehow, some way this year, Lord, I trust that you will bless me in such a way that I can give this amount of money. And he was so moved by the story that he wrote down $10,000 on the card. And he turned it in. And he was so excited about this way of, you know, of giving. And he went in and he told his new boss about it the next day. And the boss is like, are you crazy? Why did you do something like that? This, you're going to have to work for years to pay off that kind of a debt. He's like, you know what? Just give me my checkbook. And he wrote a check for $10,000 to get the guy out from under the burden of this new responsibility. <laughs> Yay, God. <laughs> he had no idea where that money, 10000 was going to come from. But he felt in his heart that he was supposed to release that to God. Somehow, some way, 
Who knew that it would be the next day that God would provide the full $10,000? We could read this story very literally and have all sorts of conversations about it. Uh, We could also look at this story as a call story. Uh, Traditionally, uh, I would say typically, when we look into this text, we we listen to it and we hear it as a way that Jesus calls somebody to be a follower of his. All of the parts of a call story are evident here. You remember back in Mark chapter 1, we covered this, oh, maybe back in January or February, but when Jesus started off in his ministry, he was walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he, you know, he's strolling along and probably enjoying the the nice sea breeze and watching the fishermen out there and he sees Simon or we know him as better as Peter he sees Peter and his brother Andrew and they're fishing and he says hey boys come follow me I will make you fishers of people and Mark says all the Gospels say that they dropped what they were doing they left it all behind and they went and they followed Jesus No questions asked. That story may be the one that blows me away the most in all of Scripture. They left it all behind without a question and followed. Come, follow. Okay. And so now Jesus has got Peter and Andrew, and and they have a little parade going now, and they go a little bit further up the beach, and oh, there's James and John, the sons of Zebedee. I prefer to call them the sons of thunder. But they, uh, they're over there, and they're with their dad, and they're in the boat, and Jesus says, hey, you two, come, follow me. And Mark, in Mark chapter 1, it says, they dropped everything. They left everything, and they followed Jesus, and they left their dad standing in the boat. And he's probably like, what? You're supposed to inherit the business? I want to retire. You're supposed to take this over and take care of me. And now you left it behind to go follow this guy, Jesus. Compelling call. Come, follow me. And this story has pieces of that in it. He calls the man in our story today. The guy comes up and says, what must I do? And Jesus says, you know, you know the commands. And Jesus, uh, in his answer to him, he gives him uh, commandments. The, you know, there's the Ten Commandments. You've heard of those. Uh, if you want to read them, they're in the foyer on the statue. Uh, but you can read them. He, Jesus gives them five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And he adds one. He says, do not defraud. So what he doesn't give them is the ones about, you know, no idols, you know, only God. Uh, and he doesn't give them the one at the very end, number ten, which is thou shalt not covet. He gives them the other ones in the middle that really have to do with human interaction and how we care for one another, how we live in community, what we ought not to do and not what we should do. And the guy says, oh, I've got all of those. I can check all those off my list. I mean, this guy is a real spiritual overachiever. He's on the dean's list. And so he's like, hey, man, my resume looks great. I'm, I'm sitting pretty here. And Jesus says, whoa, time out. That's good and all. But there's one thing you lack. All right, what is it? What am I going to have to do? What am I going to have to do? Give some five verbs. Go. Sell. Give. Come. Follow. Go, sell, give, come, follow. It's a typical call when Jesus invites when Jesus beckons people to become followers of his to become disciples he tells you to go give sell go sell give come follow that's what it is got the order out of out of line there go sell give come follow that's the call for this guy hmm the guy had to think about that one didn't he he had to think about that Jesus has just invited him into a journey to be a disciple. And the invitation isn't just for this guy. The invitation extends to all who would read this passage. 
The invitation of Jesus to become a disciple is an invitation to me and it's an invitation to you. Come, follow me. And whatever's in your way, get rid of it. Give it away. Cut it out. Unburden yourself, yes. Leave that behind. Anything that you're more dependent on than God, let it go and come follow me. It's a call story. And after this guy learns what it will cost him, everything, every material thing, mind you, he walks away. We don't see his face anymore in the text. We see his back. It's the only call story in the Gospels that ends in both failure and grief. The guy did not respond in the affirmative way. Now, we don't know that he ultimately didn't come back and turn around at some point. But the picture that Mark leaves us with is one of him walking away, shaking his head with his head down, like that's, that's too much, that's one step too far, Jesus, because I have too much wealth. I, I can't leave that behind. See, it was only when the young man pressed Jesus with his deeper question, what must I do, that he revealed what the real issue was. He loved his wealth and his possessions, and he found his security in them more than he did in God. He trusted them to provide the security more than he trusted God to give him security. I, th- I really truly believe that this guy wanted to know what Jesus thought. I think that he really wanted instruction from this rabbi. I think that he wanted his perspective, but he didn't want it bad enough to actually do something with the answer once he got it. His desire cost far more than he was willing to pay. I want that so much. I want to know how I can get into the kingdom of God. And when Jesus told him what the cost was, it was too much for him. Quite often, people will come and search me out for advice on all sorts of things, spiritual issues. Hey, I, got a, I just got a, a little bit of a problem, and maybe you could give me some perspective or a little bit of help, and... And I, I love that part of what I get to do. I remember, oh, years ago, a couple came to me, and, and they, were having, they were having some financial difficulties. I mean, they both, they both worked, and they had, uh, they had an okay income, but they, they didn't know how to manage it very well. And so they were always behind, always trying to, to keep up. And so they came and, and uh, hey, we, you know, can you help us with something? And... They knew my business background, and I liked doing financial counseling, and so they were asking for a little bit of that. And so we sat down and talked for quite some time. And, and through that conversation, there were, there were three things that were, I mean, extremely just very evident that were quick things that they could change that might help them significantly. I mean, one, for example, was um, they had cell phone contracts that were way overpriced, and cell phones that they didn't actually need or use. It would be an easy place to scale back just a little bit, maybe go back to the old flip phone style and, you know, pay as you go. The, the other, one of the other things was that they, they really liked, once a year, to take a fairly exotic vacation. And they would save up, and, and but they really felt like they, we deserve it. And their vacations typically cost more than our family vacations. And so I started unpacking some of this with them, and like, so here's a couple things that I noticed. That maybe if we just put a little action plan together, that it might help you on a month-to-month basis. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a, this sounds like a good idea. So off they went, and like, well, let's check back in, and yeah, a couple months went by, and hey, Dave, we need to talk. We get, you know, we're kind of struggling with with our finances. And hey, come on, let's let's chat. 
tell me, tell me how that action plan is going. Well, we really haven't done anything. We haven't changed our behavior in any way. And I look them in the eye and I say, you realize that I'm not going to tell you anything differently today than I did the first time we sat down with each other. The plan is in place. The desire of what you want, kind of some, you know, financial independence and know that all your bills are going to be met and you have the income to cover everything. That's your, your, your desire but you're not willing to pay the price for that. The guy came up to Jesus, and what must I do? Jesus says, follow the law. I've done all that. And Jesus says, there's still one thing for you, one area that you lack. Here's the action plan for you. Go, sell, give, come, follow. Guy's head was nodding yes. That's what I desire. But he left because the price was too high. And he wasn't willing to invest the time and energy and effort and sacrifice to get what he desired. Do you think that Jesus was asking this guy to do something that was, oh, terrible and difficult? Maybe. Or do you think, do you think maybe Jesus was asking him to do something that was wonderful and liberating? Your perspective on answering that question probably, probably will shape how you read the hard teachings of Jesus. Because if we look at Jesus as teaching us and telling us to do things that will weigh us down and burden us, you've read Jesus totally wrong. Jesus, as God and human, fully both, understands the will of God, understands the challenge of humanity. He, he came to give us life, not take it away. He came to give us grace. He came to grant us liberation and freedom from things that are holding us back. And so if we read Jesus as, oh, that's just terrible and difficult. I don't think I can ever do that. Then we read Jesus and we walk around like this as Christians and we feel like we're carrying a burden around. And so this guy came to Jesus. Hey, what, 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 what do I need to do to get my spot in heaven? And Jesus gives him the demand and he just went lower. Because the, the law already felt like a weight for him. And Jesus says, hey, go give all that stuff that's holding you back away. And the guy goes, oh, that burden is too much. Whew. But if you read Jesus as instructing and teaching us to do things that bring freedom and liberation, wow. You walk much lighter in your shoes because you trust, you know and you trust that whatever Jesus asks you to do is for your good, not for your harm. It's to, to free you from captivity to whatever it is that you're a prisoner to. It's not to put you in captivity. And Jesus talks to this guy and he goes away shaking his head. Begs the question, how do you let go? How do you, when Jesus says, hey, divest yourself of things that are holding you back, how does that actually work? Well, you can practice open-handed living. Working at being more generous. You can begin tithing. Setting aside the first portion, the first tenth of your income, and giving it to God. Giving it to your local church who invests it in the ministry, in this community, and, and around the world. That's a good place to start because when we give of our resources to the Lord, yes, it might make you nervous for a while. 
But the only place that God says, test me in all of Scripture, is when it comes down to tithing. Back in Malachi, he says, you know, uh, if you bring your full tithe into the storehouse, see that I won't throw open the floodgates. Test me on this, he says. It's the only place that God says, test me, is when it comes to us relinquishing our resources, when it comes to us fulfilling his, his command to release our stuff back to him. You've got to trust me with this, the first part of what you have. So one way that we begin to unburden ourselves from things, if it's wealth, that are holding us back is we could begin tithing. We could be more generous. We could look around our storehouses and our garages and our basements and other places in our household that you don't even know what's in that room because it's been so long and you haven't even unpacked the box for a while. Maybe some of that stuff you could let go. Sell it. And I would say, if you find things around your household, instead of just taking them to the local thrift store and unloading them at the back loading dock, maybe go a step further and find people who would be blessed by the things that you're willing to part with. So that there is, not, there is some specificity about this. It's not just, oh yeah, the pastor said I should do this, and that's probably a good thing to do. And You can go into it with the wrong attitude. That feels like a burden. But when you bless somebody specifically, that's freeing, that's liberating. Well, there's one more way you can read this story. At least I think there is. I think that we can read this text as a healing story. As a healing story. Have you ever noticed in the Gospel of Mark that when people approach Jesus and they kneel at his feet and they ask for help for either some dreaded disease or a demon possession... And almost every time, almost every time, Jesus orders them to go, like he tells this man, go. Every time that Jesus, somebody comes and kneels at him for a disease or a demon possession, and Jesus says, go, <clears throat> almost every time it's for a matter of healing. The man knows that he followed the law. He knows he followed the law. He, he was able to check that totally off his list. He's pious. He's tried everything he could, but he feels some emptiness inside him. He's not assured in his faith. He feels like there is a lack. And so... Deep down, he knows this, so he seeks Jesus out to see if Jesus could help him with this. He knows that the law, observing the law, is leaving him feeling empty. I think that he is saying that he knows that he is heart sick. Something in his heart is not right. And he goes to Jesus, can you, can you help me with this? And he kneels down like he's asking for healing. And Jesus says, go, like he does to other people whom he heals. My daughter, Kaylin, is a nursing student at Northwest Nazarene University. She's also part of the university choir and an orchestra, and they were on a little mini tour this weekend. They played a concert in Vancouver on Friday night, and they're currently playing a concert right now down in a church in Portland. And uh, we went to the concert Friday night. We were able to pick her up and bring her home for a day. Uh, and she went back early this morning, and while she was home, she said, Dad, I need to practice some things for nursing school. Would you be okay with that? 
Now, mind you, last week she sent me a text, Dad, I just gave eight people a flu shot. I'm like, I don't want a shot. No, I just need to do a health assessment on you. I'm like, okay, well, that sounds fairly harmless. And it was. I don't know, did I learn anything about myself? Well, I learned that she was taking my pulse, and I learned that I didn't know that she was counting how many times I breathed while she was finding my pulse. I learned last night that I only took six breaths in the whole minute. That was kind of interesting. Things you need to know at church, you know, I'm sorry. Um, but in this health assessment, she's, look, she's um, trying to evaluate if there are anything if there's anything that's out of place, anything that's wrong, any, any signals, if you will. And, and I was thinking that it, it just kind of fits right in that, that this guy comes to Jesus for a health assessment. I know I've followed all the law, but there's an empty, hollow place inside, and I'm just not sure, Jesus, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm sure? In verse 21, one of the first sentence of verse 21, one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. It says that Jesus looked at him, looked him deep in the eye, and he loved him. I think that look deep in the eye into this man's soul was a, a health assessment. I mean, Jesus is looking through, you know when people look at you really intently in the eye? After a few seconds, it can get a little creepy, right? <laughs> like we got to shift our eyes a little bit. And, but eye contact is a beautiful thing. I love looking deep into my wife's eyes. Jesus peers into this guy's soul, into his heart, and he says, you lack one thing. Over in Matthew 6, he's teaching Jesus. He talks a lot about money and wealth and treasures and, and worry and anxiety and all those sorts of things in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the, on the Mount. But in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 6, he talks about the eye being the lamp of the body. And if, and if your eye is sick, it doesn't allow light to come in. And, and so you, light comes into your body through your eyes, but if there's any kind of blockage at all, then... The light grows dim in your life. And uh, as a spiritual analogy, Jesus looks into this guy's eye and he says, I see the problem. There's a blockage. Your life, your soul, your spirit is dim because there's something that's big and it's in the way and it's your wealth. It might be something different for you. But Jesus does the health screening. He peers deep into our eyes and he's able to pinpoint, oh yeah, the light's a little dim in your life right now because of this. And he puts his finger on it. And that's hard news. But that's the beauty of the second part of the sentence. He looked at him. And what? Say it out loud. He, he loved him. He loved him. Appears hmm. deep into the guy's soul and sees his spiritual health condition. He lays his finger on the issue. He tells him to go, sell, give, come, follow. I can heal you from your heart sickness. The salvation that I bring is a healing story in your life. And I'm talking about your life, as evidenced by the man in the text here. If we read this story as a healing story, and we believe that's true, and I think that it is, then I think Jesus might be doing the same thing to each and every one of us. He looks you in the eye, and he loves you. And he's willing to do whatever is necessary to heal you. The guy came with a big question. And big questions don't deserve small answers. Small answers to a big question are actually quite insulting. 
The guy asked the big question, and Jesus gave him the big answer. Yeah, I know it's wrong. <laughs> but the freedom of will that we have is that we can choose. Jesus, I guarantee, will tell you what the issue is if you ask him. He is willing to heal. He's already died on the cross and been raised from the dead so that your sins might be forgiven. He's already done that work to free you from captivity. And so when he identifies something in your life that's holding you back from being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, you have the choice. Are you going to take his recommendation and say, wow, huh, I will do that. It might be really hard, but I trust that you'll help me, Jesus. Or will we choose to reject that and be grieved? walking away with dim light in our eyes and shaking our head because it didn't work out so well. It's hard. It's hard teaching. But my question for you is, is that a healing touch that you need today? Is there something that's paralyzing you, holding, holding you back, worry, fear? Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's the key sentence in every story when you think about it. What we're told is that Jesus saw into the very heart of this man and he decided to do what was needed to make him whole. Eugene Peterson, he writes about it. He says, Jesus offered to extricate him from the clutching tentacles of sin that were strangling his life. And he offered to rescue him from the wasteland of self-righteousness that was impoverishing him and to make it possible for him to receive God's love and return it. That's what Jesus does for each and every one of us. He looks us hard in the eyes, discerning exactly what's required for us to be saved, and then he extends a hand of grace to heal and save us. Jesus doesn't say the same thing to all of us, but he does the exact same thing. He looks us in the eyes. He understands immediately all the ways that things have gone wrong in our life. And then he isolates one particular sin. The one that has us in its clutches in its chains. The one that's wrapped around our heart, holding us back. And he touches it. And with that touch comes the offer of salvation and healing. So I ask you again, do you, do you need that healing touch today? My life verse has kind of always been one from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 33. Jesus is preaching. And Jesus says, As my disciples seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pay attention to the things that God cares about. And all the rest of the things we tend to worry about will take care of themselves. I think that's the message to this rich young guy. Seek God first and his righteousness. And you don't have to worry about the rest. And I think that's the message that comes down through this text to all of us this morning. There's something that's holding us back and Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what it is. I'll give you that information. I'll lay my hand on it and offer you healing and salvation. I will offer you freedom and liberation. But you have a choice. You have a choice. Would you stand for prayer?
Lord, we sang the song earlier, I Will Follow, fitting and appropriate to a text like this. Yet so challenging. It's easy in a moment like this. It's easy when we read scripture to nod our head in all the right places. Because deep down, I, th- I think that we know that what you teach is accurate. And yet, when it comes to doing, maybe we don't nod our head quite as quickly. Or perhaps, perhaps we shake our head in the other direction. Oh no, Lord, that's too much. Lord, I pray that we would hear the call in your story today. That you beckon each and every one of us to be a disciple. That you call us to come and follow you. But first you tell us to go and sell and give. Or go and remove something that's holding us back, deal with that, and come back and follow you. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here. One that we would each hear your call and know that it's personal. That you call each and every one of us into a relationship with you and we do have a choice. We can say yes, we can say no. I pray that you would um, help us. Remove the things that are holding us back and then come joyfully into your presence to follow you. You never once promised that it would be easy, that it wouldn't be difficult. It, It will be. But help us to know without a shadow of a doubt that what you have for us is not meant to pile heavy burdens on our shoulders but that what you call us to and call us into and what you call us and tell us that we need to get rid of is only done because you want to liberate and free us. So if we struggle at that point in trusting your motive, Lord, help us. I know we need your healing touch in some area of our life. And we are truly grateful that you reach out and you touch our wounds and you offer us salvation. Lord, I pray that we would step into that. We love you so much, Lord. And we are so grateful for the sacrifice you made for each and every one of us. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray this morning. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You are dismissed, and our coffee with the pastor will start momentarily in the